All right, it's been a couple months since we had someone up here uh, for an interview, so we're back at it today with Andy and Aaron Pierce. Pierce's, y'all can come on up. Um, Andy and Aaron have been married for going on six years. They have two young sons, Cole and Davis. Andy is a FedEx pilot and is also in the Air National Guard Reserves. Is that right? Yeah. Is that not right? And Guard Reserves, kind of two different things, but yes, I'm in the Guard, which is very similar to the Reserves. He's not in the Reserves. He's in the Air National Guard. I learned something. There you go. He's a major. He's a major. He's a major. Okay. Yeah, for the longest time I called him Captain, and he'd been promoted, but he was so humble he didn't correct me. Nice. Uh, also, an interesting fact about Erin, she grew up in the Mississippi Delta and is the daughter of a cotton farmer, which I think is pretty cool. Um, Andy, we're going to start with you. Why don't you tell us how you came to know the Lord? All right. Uh, I grew up here at Grace Van. Um, Grace started when I was about 10 years old, and my parents uh, were here at the beginning. They were in Dr. Young's Sunday school class at Central Church, and so they came over as Grace started, and um, we were here at this church from the beginning, and so because of that, uh, I grew up in this church. I was active in this church. I was in the junior high uh, youth group, active there, active in the senior high youth group, and just around all the time. This was kind of the, the center of my world growing up, and, you know, I was hearing the gospel everywhere. Uh, I remember saying a prayer with my mom when I was in fourth grade, and I look back at that time, and even in a junior high, and that kind of thing, and I don't really think I understood the gospel um, and then I fast forward a little bit to late high school into college, certainly after college, and I, I can look and go, okay, I think there I did understand the gospel. So I don't, I can't tell you, you know, the day I became a Christian, right. but I can see the changes over the years. How many of you have a similar story? Like you remember a moment when you were younger, maybe it was walking an aisle or saying a prayer, and then, but you really didn't really understand, and then you know, maturity as you go on. Maybe back then it was just, I didn't want to go to hell, which, by the way, is a good thing. I mean, the Bible even says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and so that's a good way to start. But uh, how many of y'all have that same? Most of you. Um, You know, I think it's important to think about that. Conversion doesn't mean mature understanding. Conversion just simply means you have the eyes to see, you have ears to hear, you have a heart to respond to the Lord and His grace that's been poured out. Um, it also means that we have the capacity to mature in our faith. And so, uh, and that takes a long time. So I think as we think about that, and maybe for our own story or for our children or whatever it is, uh, we shouldn't expect a fourth grader to have adult maturity. Uh, We have to really ask ourselves, what does fourth grade maturity look like? And uh, some of you may scoff, but I would even say we have to ask ourselves, what does a three-year-old or four-year-old maturity look like? Is it possible that they can truly be Christian? Absolutely, it's possible that they can truly be uh, Christian. So, you know, I I think we tend to use the terminology of, well, I think they get it, or I don't think they get it. I don't think they really get it based on something they said or whatever. Uh, Now, no doubt there are people that just truly aren't born again and don't have the capacity to respond to the Lord, but uh, people don't come with a born-again light bulb over their head. It'd sometimes be easier, you know, if they did. We, we don't really know who's who. And the point is, I guess, it doesn't really change how we are to uh, labor in that. 
we love the Lord, we love them, we teach them to follow Him and kind of leave the results up to Him. But I think it's just important to recognize that's the way the Lord works. And the majority of y'all's stories, there are these monumental moments, but and you had the capacity to mature, but maturity happens over a long time. Aaron, how about you? How'd you come into the Lord? Well, I my parents got divorced when I was little, three, so I moved to Clarksville, Mississippi. My mom remarried this cotton farmer who I call dad now. He's my stepdad, but call him dad. And um, yeah, I was just kind of a wild little kid, second child, trying to get everybody's attention, you know. Um, and then I, I feel like my parents always took me to church. They always, you know, I grew up in the church, in a PCA church. We were hearing, you know, the form gospel, the truth. But um, I do remember in seventh grade kind of having this moment where I realized I'm not going to, to heaven just because my parents are. And so I remember kind of being afraid of that and really talking to my youth minister about that and kind of praying and saying, you know, Lord, save me. I'm, you know, I, I want to trust you. But pretty quickly after that, I kind of went That was seventh grade? Mm-hmm. That was seventh grade. Pretty quickly after that, I went off the deep end. They laughed seventh grade. I took one of my friend's cars and drove it around. And so I started getting grounded for every little thing. And so, which my dad. How old are you in seventh grade? Um, how old are you? Twelve. Twelve. Oh, yeah. Stole a car. A little old. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, which people laugh, but yeah, my attitude was nobody can stop me. I'm doing what I want. I can do everything well. Like, you know, I know how to do everything. So that was kind of my attitude. Like I'm, I'm on my path and I'm going. Um, so that just, you know, the only thing that really, I think saved me from getting in big time trouble is I played a lot of sports. And so my coaches were just on me, you know, mm-hmm. don't, don't screw up too bad to where you're, you get kicked off the team. Right. Like, so. Um, so that, that was, was kind of your lifestyle through high school? Through high school, and then once I finished my senior year basketball season, I kind of really started going down, you know, like partying really hard, and right. um, went to Ole Miss, and freshman year, that just escalated, and um, but it all came to a head. I, I remember, like, really feeling guilty. I remember... I remember I had this one thing, like, as long as you don't smoke weed, like, you're okay. Like, that was kind of like my, that was my, as long as you just keep it under that, like, you know. It's and, not a bad philosophy to live Right. Like, that, that was my standard. And um, obviously, at Ole Miss, that didn't last long. So, um, I just remember being afraid, like, just kind of all of a sudden, my conscience really, I was like, you said you would never do these things, but here you are, like, continually crossing the line. And I, I even though I was continuing to engage in these things, I just, more and more, I was like, what is going on? This is not who, you know, who you're created to be. Like, I knew all these answers. So I remember it was March of my freshman year, and I had gone to um, a Sigma Nu party, and we'd had a charity ball or whatever. And um, I just remember waking up Sunday morning, and I was like, I wasn't at church. And um, I just remember being like, God, save me. Like, I hate this. Like, I don't know what to do. And I just laid in my bed and I just cried. And literally, it was just like I was crying out, like, help me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what to do. But I just wanted things to change. That's good. You know, it's interesting to me. And what a comfort um, for all of us who have loved ones who are uh, rebelling against the Lord or even maybe someone in here is. But, uh, you know... Even if your idea of the, you have these kind of these standards, if I smoke weed, you know, that's too far or whatever, you kind of make them up. But we have this inherent thing going on inside of us of this idea of standards 
and ultimately God used that to draw you to himself, and I love that. So tell us a little bit about the role then of RUF in your life. If you don't know what RUF is, Reform University Fellowship, uh, just a college ministry on a lot of campuses. So Les Newsom was the RUF campus minister, and he had like done our youth group some growing up because we didn't have a youth minister. Our church was really small. So I had a relationship with Les before college, and so I knew my parents were kind of calling him saying, is Aaron coming to RUF? You know, so I was kind of trying to stay out of trouble and show up. So I was going to freshman Bible study, which he laughs a lot. He's like, were you drunk when you came to freshman Bible study? Because you were just loud and obnoxious and just saying all this stuff, you know. And he was like, all the Memphis and Jackson, you know, self-righteous people were looking at you like, who is this kid? Like, what is she doing? But um, I think the Lord used that to seal that relationship. And so whenever I had this moment, um, I was like, okay, who do I go to less? And um, he was there. And there was actually a girl in my sorority, Meg Gieselman, who is actually Kent Gieselman's little sister, Fraser and Dana, who have been praying for Fraser's little sister. But she came to me and said, um, I, I was a Kyo, and she said, you're claiming to be a Christian and you're taking all these people down with you. Like you, I mean, she just very boldly like said, if, if you're claiming to be a Christian, like you need to start doing what Christians do. And I was just kind of like, whoa, you know, I was really embarrassed by that. But then I was kind of like, okay, well maybe she can help me figure this out. So mm. then she connected me with other Christians and had somebody to sit by, you know, mm. to go to campus ministries. And so, but, um, but less really, we talked about this, but so I kind of had this big conversion story, you know, and so there was um, some people on campus that were like, why don't you come to our ministry and tell your story? You know, this is a great conversion story. You're smoking weed and now you stop, you know, like, you know, so they wanted to like, you know, kind of display that. And so I tell Wes, I was like, should I do this? And he just looked at me and he said, no, you don't know God. Like, your biggest thing in life right now, you need to read the Bible, and you need to know God. Like, you don't need to say anything to anybody. And I was very, like, kind of like, oh, you know, like, I I don't have a great story to tell. And he was like, it's not that. It's just that the most important thing is that you know God. And I think that that changed my life Mm -hmm. because I think I realized I don't have to do all these things, you know, to, but I need to know God. So I was very content in stopping reading my Bible and, you know. Knowing God. Oh, man. Uh, you know, a couple things. Just personally, similar path for me in college and all the similar. But I didn't have a less saying that. You don't know God and you need to take a step back. And I honestly got thrown into a lot of responsibilities far earlier than I should have been. And uh, I got to about the third year of the Christian life. And I always said, that's when we moved down to the coast. And I always describe that as the rehab that I always needed. You know, but really it was just the spiritual rehabilitation. It was the knowing God and walking with God that, you know, that's, that's wise advice. Um, and also, think about how important Meg Gieselman, you know, standing up to her friend and saying, you're claiming to be a Christian and you're not living like a Christian. You know, we talk in here about speaking the truth in love, and that's like a monumental moment in Aaron's life. That's pretty, that's pretty great. Um, all right, y'all both came from a Christian family, but God has really used godly men and women in your life outside of your family to really <coughs> mature you in Christ, particularly less for you and, and Ernie Norcross for you. Tell us a little bit about your relationship with Ernie. Um, when I was about 13 here in the junior high youth group at Grace, I uh, met a, a man named Ernie Norcross, and he, he was a volunteer leader in the youth group. He's kind of a big 
personality and loud and confident and all that stuff. And he just kind of took me under his wing, me and another good friend of mine, and you know, invested time in us, even even all the way through high school and later on. And you know, taught us spiritual lessons, taught us just good life lessons. I remember him teaching me about you know, what's integrity and you know how to handle money and all this different stuff. And just really invested time as uh, as a mentor and those types of things. And, and, you know, it wasn't that I didn't have good parents. I had great parents. They were around. They're still around today. Um, It's just that when you're a teenager, you kind of think your parents are idiots and you don't really want to listen to them. So it was really cool to have God bring somebody in my life that was was an adult, that was mature and, and wise and... But they weren't my parents. They were mm. a little bit younger than my parents. Kind of had the cool factor, and actually wanted to listen to them and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So it was, you know, Ernie and I are still good friends today. I love that. It's a great way to pray for our own kids, and uh, a great way to think about serving too. I mean, you know, maybe now is not a good time, but in the future, and to serve other people's children in that way, to be able to invest in them. Uh, but that is a serious help, you know. Uh, often think it takes a community to make a disciple and it takes a community to raise our children and uh, that's just a a great thing. Andy, you went into the military at 19, so how did that come about? Uh, From a pretty young age, I'm one of those weird people that from like the time I was a kid, I knew what I wanted to do. Like, Well, first I wanted to be a garbage man. And then... (laughs) How old were you then? That was like eight or nine. Then at ten, I realized maybe pilot's a better option. (laughs) And so I decided I wanted to be a pilot. And growing up here at Grace and being in Memphis, you know, there are FedEx pilots everywhere. And, you know, talking to those guys, I was like, man, this sounds like a pretty cool job. So I kind of said, well, I'm gonna, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to work towards that. And so, you know, I realized that a good option to get there, it takes a lot of hours and flying time and experience and all that. How, long, how many hours? Uh, it takes a minimum of 1,500 hours flying time in a, a multi-engine jet. And then the big one that's even harder to get is you have to have a thousand hours as the captain or the pilot in command, you know, the dude in charge of a multi-engine jet. So it's it's a long, it's a commitment, and it takes a long time to get that. I mean, I was probably getting, you know, 500 hours a year, and I was working really hard. So I mean, it takes some years to get all that all that time. Um, but I realized from some different people in my life that the military was a good way to get that experience. Um, one of my best friends that grew up here at Grace, his uncle was in the Air National Guard here in town, and he kept bringing us out and, you know, hey, come shoot some guns and do this. It'll be cool. And he was recruiting us. I didn't realize that. Uh, <laughs> and then my buddy, his name's uh, Brett, he go, one day he called. He goes, hey, uh, Uncle Richard wanted me to come out to the base. I think I might join. You want to go with me? I'm like, yeah, I'll go. I mean, I'm not joining. Next thing I knew, I joined the military. <laughs> and you all joined the military. Yeah, it sounds like a good plan. Wow. And it was, you know, this was pre-9-11, so the Air National Guard was a way different beast back then, you know. And, it was, you know, you do weekends. It's a six-year commitment. We were like, man, this is no big deal. It's 72 weekends. No big deal. If we don't like it, we'll be done in six years. It's, you know, it's fine. And then, but, but, you know, you're like one weekend a month. You're like, that's not that bad. And, and then you know, 9-11. Right. The guard, we never go overseas. Well, then 9-11 happens, and then, like, I get pulled out of college to come on active duty for a year. I get deployed to the Middle East. I'm like, wow, this is not how I saw this happening. <laughs> Which, I mean, it was cool. I wasn't, I wasn't hating it or anything. It just was very different than my expectations. You did have to go to war. I had to get deployed to the Middle East. Like, you know, I'm sure there's people in this room that would, you know, 
argue whether or not I went to war, <laughs> but I did deploy the Middle East. Um, you know, did that for four years in a, as a military police while I was finishing college, and then the Air Guard sent me to pilot training after I finished college, and then started flying big cargo planes and flying all over the year, all over the world for about six years, and flying into Turkey and across Turkey all the time. That's where I've heard of Ankara before. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that's what I did. What's the coolest place you ever went flying? Uh, the two places I really liked that we went a lot were Germany and Hawaii. Yeah. So they were, it was nice to get some time there. Yeah. And I will say this. I remember we had been married for like a year. And like I was just kind of oblivious. You know, oh, I've got to fly to Afghanistan. You know, I was like, I'm just not going to watch the news because that's kind of scary. And so one day I was just talking to him like, tell me more about this when you go into Afghanistan. You know, and he was like, well, sometimes like we have to turn all the lights off on the plane and like land because they're shooting at it. And I was like, done. I was like, I don't want to know anymore. Like, never, never tell me this Does again. Anybody want to argue that he didn't go to war? <laughs> I was like, yep, no more. Done. Good grief. Tell us that you're telling me that story about. Oh yeah. So when I was in the, they call it security forces in the Air Force, but it's basically just military police. The spring after 9-11, my best friend Brett and I got deployed to the Middle East together for 90 days, and we were doing base security there. So, you know, you just set up a perimeter around the base, and you got a machine gun, and you're just sitting there staring at, <laughs> staring at the sand, and, you know, camels walking by for like 12 hours a day. And, you know, it's kind of boring. You're like, oh, you know, I thought this might be more exciting. And, uh, well, it was right during a time that things were particularly heated between Israel and Palestine, and... Everybody in the Middle East was really mad because the U.S. was supporting Israel and all this kind of stuff. And so there was these protests going on on all the American bases across the Middle East. And so it happened two days in a row, and the second day got really heated. And I happened to be at this post that was like, there was us, there was a fence, and then there's a protest. I mean, this is like, stuff's happening like, I've seen this on the news before. I've seen it in some, you know, Samuel L. Jackson movies. (laughs) But like, I'm here, you know. And so there's like, the second day, there's like 200, you know, men and, you know, young boys out there protesting and they're, you know, knocking over these barriers and spray painting stuff and burning effigies of George Bush and, you know, throwing rocks at the lights and breaking them. And like, we're like, dude, this is a little crazy. You know, there's some kid out there waving a gun around. It turns out it was a toy, fortunately. Um, And then all of a sudden, like, they kind of storm, they don't, they can't get across the fence, but they kind of get close to the fence and start throwing rocks at us and stuff. It's like, dude, this is... I feel like I'm in a movie here. And then, you know, the local security forces, they kind of went out into the crowd and calmed everybody down. You know, nothing really bad happened, but it was just a not one of those situations I expected to be in when I signed up for 72 weekends. <laughs> 72 weekends. Uh, y'all tell us how you met and, and eventually got together and got married. Uh, well, I don't know. Some of you may have met Matt and Kristen back there. They've been coming here for a little while now. Kristen is Aaron's sister. Matt was one of my best friends in college. And so Matt marries Kristen. Aaron and I end up both being in their wedding. So we met the weekend of the wedding. And, you know, that was kind of, that was Aaron's hometown. It was her sister's wedding. She was the maid of honor. And, you know, she was just very comfortable that weekend. That was kind of her domain. And we're at the rehearsal. And, like, I just see Aaron kind of come prancing down the aisle. And she's like, hi, I'm Aaron. What's your name? And so we start talking, and I think we actually rode to the rehearsal dinner that together that night with Matt and Kristen. So well, in, they were already like scheming. They were yeah, like, we, they were want, we this want this months. to happen. So, but. but yeah, we rode the rehearsal dinner together. We kind of sat next to each other at dinner and talked, and then you know hung out at the wedding and went out with some of her friends from Clarksdale after the wedding. And then like 
they had the, the, the wedding schedule, and on there it said church on Sunday. I was like, oh, okay, I guess people are staying around for church. I said, like, I should probably do that, you know? <laughs> and it turns out I was the only one that stayed around for church. <laughs> and so Aaron's like, well, let me come pick you up. I said, sure. So I go to church. We've known each other for 48 hours. I go to church with her family. Then she invites me to her grandmother's house for, for Sunday lunch. And it's me and her and, like, six girl cousins and sisters at this table. It was just, you know, just strange situation but it was fun so we dated off and on for a little while she was living in Atlanta I was living in Memphis um, for about three months kind of long distance I went to visit her in Atlanta and I think we both could tell it was just kind of awkward we weren't really clicking and you know the long distance thing wasn't that fun and so I get back from Atlanta and I was gonna try to break it off and then Aaron calls me first and I was, yeah. I was a little bit relieved and I was a little bit offended <laughs> and so so we don't talk for eight months, but Matt told me, he said, dude, I know it didn't work out. He goes, but if you ever think there's a possibility, just keep in touch. You know, you don't want it to be awkward. And I was like, all right. So eight months later, I hear that Aaron has gone on a date with a friend of mine. And I was like, oh, no, that's not happening. And so I like this dude had actually driven to Atlanta to take Aaron on a date. And I'm like, okay, I got to know more about this. So I call Aaron after eight months of not talking. Last time we talked was when we broke up. And I said, hey. Did you go on a date with this dude? And she's like, yeah. Why are you calling me about that? <laughs> and so we talked about that for a minute, but it was a great... I'd been wanting to call her, and this was just a really good excuse. So we talked for like 30 minutes after that. And but I did think it was weird. So like, I call my sister, and I'm like, Andy just called me and asked me if I went on a date with this guy. Isn't that weird? You know? And Kristen's like, wanting me to end up with him. So she was like... No, I think that's great. I think he's just, she was like, he's a man and he's taking charge and like, I don't think that's weird. What so a great guy. Like, yeah, I was like, oh. I was like, okay, because anything my older sister says, you know, it's just uh, true. So That's like, awesome. Okay. So anyway, so we, we didn't start dating then because it was still long distance, but about a year after that, I heard Aaron was moving to Memphis and, you know, so that was kind of, so I started calling her again and thought it might be fun to try to date if we were living in the same city and then, uh, a couple months after that, she calls me and said, hey, I'm going to be at, going to a wedding in Oxford. Would you want to be my date? I'm like, sure. So we ride to the wedding together, and I was kind of nervous, wanting to talk to her, say, hey, you know, let's try this thing again. And so we get in the car, and all I could think to say was, you know, I hadn't been just calling you for my health, right? And she, she kind of laughed, and, you know, she was like, yeah, you know, I was hoping we could date too. And so it, we pressure relieved at that point, you know, it was fun. And a couple months later, she moved to Memphis, and then four months after that, we were engaged. Man. That's a great story. Uh, and I'll be honest, y- y'all seem like the kind of couple that just has it all together. You know, like uh, you have this great little love story and then you rode off in the sunset or flew off in the sunset. And, uh, you know, now you're just making babies and probably pray a lot. And, you know, uh, for those that are kind of just grinding it out, it seems a little far off. But I know that's not the reality, and y'all do have a good marriage, uh, but a good marriage involves suffering, it involves a lot of hard work, so why don't y'all tell us a little bit about kind of major growth period in your marriage? Yeah. Yeah, I would say our hardest moment was, um, you know, the first two years we were married, we were like, this is fun, let's just go out and hang out, and you know, this is just fun, like we both just, we, we actually look back a lot and we're like, man, that was just fun. Um, but then after we had Cole, right when we had Cole, Andy got hired at FedEx. And um, I was a very, like, OCD mom. Like, I just was kind of afraid about everything. And I had a really hard time figuring it out. And, and I got into this mode of, 
let me figure it out, then you can help, you know, instead of saying, like, let's figure this out together. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I think I started going down this path of I'm, I'm afraid I'm not a good mom, and I just want to do that. Like, I just want to figure it out. And I think Andy got in the mode of I, this is my dream job. I just want to be a good pilot. Let me figure that out. And so our paths, I think, just never crawled. You know, like we just started getting in our lane and not really yeah. working on our marriage at all. Yeah. And um, we just kind of got, we weren't communicating well. We weren't loving and serving each other. And we're just kind of getting sloppy in marriage and just doing our own thing for, you know, a little over a year. And early 2014, early last year, kind of came to a head from a conversation we were having and it just we were forced to deal with how we'd been living in our marriage and how we'd been lazy and you know you know there was a time we had to confess some sin and we had to repent of it and uh the lord i think really brought us together through that mm-hmm. uh and, i mean it was really cool how it, it sucks going through it but started going to marriage counseling. yeah started going to some marriage counseling and um, you know, he really brought us closer to that. And then it was very gracious, the timing of it all, because a couple months later, um, you know, found out Aaron was pregnant and we're all excited. And then we go in for the uh, appointment and it turned out it was a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And that was really tough, particularly for Aaron. And my thing kind of through that was, okay, how can I love my wife and serve her? And I think the Lord had been preparing us for that for a couple months because before that it would have been kind of what the laziness and sloppiness in our marriage had not come to a head and we hadn't dealt with it, it would have been much harder for me to help her through that time. Mm-hmm. That is good. Um, I was at lunch with a guy this week and he was saying he has a family and was saying, you know, his concern to be a good, he was talking about being a good dad. And uh, he was talking to a friend of his dad who has now passed away <clears throat> and just kind of telling him, you know, I'm just worried about my kids and da da da. And he said, You don't need to worry about your kids. And he's like, Da-da-da-da, you know, and he said, You don't need to worry about your kids. And he said, Well, what do you mean? He said, You worry about being a good husband. And, you know, the rest will really take care of itself. And I, I think many with children can identify, you know. You get in your lanes, you kind of have some responsibilities, and I want to do these well, and maybe they become all-consuming, and um, then marriage gets neglected. And so I think for all with families, um, there's a lot of lessons for us in there to, you know, continue to labor to get right in the marriage, and uh, that spreads itself out throughout the home. But And I will say this, too, real quick. I think, you know, going through a miscarriage was was really a dark time in my life. Mm -hmm. And I think I was very surprised by it because I was like, on the grand scheme of things, there's a lot bigger suffering going on out there, you know. And so I think I got really um, disappointed in myself. Like, Aaron, you should be able to handle this. Like, you shouldn't be knocked down this bad because of this. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I really do think the Lord was about knocking me down Mm -hmm. and I also think that was a great time for Andy to really jump in and say you know this is what we believe like we have got to trust in Christ like we have got to you know you can't just go on what you feel right now like Mm -hmm. you have to believe the things that God has said that he loves us that you know he is about our good that he's kind he's not Mm -hmm. angry you're not being punished like you know he loves us and so Mm -hmm. I think that was a really good point of our marriage too of you know Andy having to really hold me up mm-hmm. you know to God really and say and you were talking about too there's guilt and could I've done something different and then there's guilt in the way you're responding shouldn't I be able to navigate suffering more 
elegantly than this and you know all of that really goes out the window and I mean the Lord is caring for you but it's great too the harmony and being able to help one another um, so last thing a couple of weeks ago after the missions conference you made a prayer request and it was basically um, a lot of people in our group impacted and your prayer was something like just that we would take action and do something with what we've learned uh, if you weren't there, the missions conference was about caring for orphans in, in our city, whether defending the unborn or uh, adoption, foster care, safe families, something like that. So I would ask, is that a personal concern? And uh, is that kind of where that prayer request came from? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think in college when I really started understanding the gospel, um, I started looking at my own life. And my stepdad, who I called dad, I mean, he was a father. He taught me about God. He disciplined me well. He taught me about God through the discipline and through his, you know, unending love for me. And I think at that moment I was like, you don't have to be a biological child to have a parent, you know, that is your real parent. And so I think at that moment I was like, this is what makes adoption cool because you can play that role and God plays that role to us, you know. I mean, he plays it perfectly. And so... um, I think that personally that did become something. And so, you know, Andy and I talked about it. Andy wasn't as on board right when we got married. But, um, you know, it's something we've talked about. And then after I have a miscarriage, we thought, well, maybe God wants us to do this now. So um, that's when we, you know, called Bethany and went through the adoption process and got approved. And, you know, we're waiting for a little bit. But um, it's it's definitely something we want to do. And we were saying this, and we were like, we don't really want to talk about adoption because we've never done it. We don't know a lot about it, so we don't want to act like we know. Mm-hmm. But um, it is something we want to do, and we're committed to, and unless God slams the door on us, we're going to do yeah. it. I mean, we're going to try. So. Um, well, I thought even your perspective on this side of things is helpful for others that may be considering. And it may not be adoption. Maybe it was, say, families or maybe none of those things, but other things like that. Because you were asking, is there a point of, like, clarity where you, like, know, okay, now's the time. And I don't – other people that have gone through it may be able to know that better. But I, I tend to think, no. I tend to think we can see it clearly in the, in the rearview mirror in hindsight. But – you know, charging ahead. I mean, it's probably a little bit foggy uh, a lot of the time. And I would ask you this, in terms of whatever it is, uh, you know, whether it's adoption, safe families, whatever it is, uh, how do you know if God is calling? Um, Les said this to me when I was in college, and it stuck with me, but I was, you know, trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do after college? How do I know, like, what God wants me to do? And um, and I was like, is, do you just wait and say, God has called me to this and he just laughed and he said if you're willing God is calling and if he doesn't want you to do that he'll slam the door shut so just charge ahead yeah that was helpful to me personally if you're willing God is calling Um, now what if someone isn't going to adopt or foster or whatever uh, how can they help well there's people in this room who could answer this question better than I could but um, you know I think Adoption, safe families, foster care, everything that we're hearing about um, at the missions conference, I I think everybody can play a role. I mean, praying for those who are involved I think is a big thing. I think if you don't necessarily think that's for your family, I mean, I think there's always something you can do for somebody, you know, help watch their child or help encourage them or help, you know, what I mean, Ben and Trisha can probably tell us a lot more that we could do, but... Um, you know, just to love them, pray for them, encourage them, give them a break, um, be a 
listening ear to talk mm -hmm. about the hard things that doesn't come along with having a biological child. Um, That's good. How about a hand for Andy and Aaron? <laughs> don't go yet. Don't go yet. Don't go oh. yet. Oh. What does anyone have any? Uh, We're done. <laughs> questions or thoughts about any of that for them? All right, now you can go. <laughs> uh, I'll just say a couple things. Um, you know, just in regard to that, you know, I know there are more and more folks in our group that are interested in serving in those ways. And uh, just to encourage you, I mean, I know that if not for our group and people in our demographic at the missions conference, there wouldn't have been a whole lot of people there. And uh, I think there was a great turnout. I just think that's encouraging, even if it's just... Uh, to come alongside others in our community and support them and love them. Uh, I celebrate that. Um, you know, and I would just go back to what I said earlier. Even if that's not, you're not going to be the one that's adopting or housing through Safe Families or whatever it is, I fully, wholeheartedly <laughs> believe that it takes a community to make a disciple. It takes a community uh, to raise our children together. And so uh, your prayers are not insignificant. You know, I often get the question, uh, I know we can pray, but is there anything we can like really do? And I just think that that is such a, a dear service to a family, even that's contemplating these things or walking through these things, is just to commit to pray. And, uh, and likewise, there are other needs that come up, and you guys have shown to be very willing to do that, and that's an encouragement to me. But let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your work in Andy Aaron's life. And uh, it is a great encouragement and uh, just to hear of your faithfulness to them. And Lord, we're reminded that uh, every story is unique. Uh, there are similar themes in every story, and yet uh, every single story you have set your love on us each individually. And uh, we thank you, Lord, for the way that you've worked in our lives to draw us yourself and to uh, root us and build us up in Christ. Uh, we do pray that many of these seeds that were planted in the missions conference would grow to good crops that bear good fruit, that you would uh, prod us along to take action on the things that you've planted in our hearts, even if that means getting uh, way outside of uh, where we are comfortable currently. And Lord, just teach us how we can better uh, love one another and serve you and be a light to this community and, and serve the needs that are there. Would you uh, use us, it truly is our heart's desire, to better uh, know you and love you and serve you and serve this city where you've placed us. Uh, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.